Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 10, and, um, and then we'll back up into Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, we'll probably camp out there for the remainder of our time together. Amen. Just to kind of review and orient, and for those of you who uh, have been here uh, in a part of this uh, study uh, since really the beginning of the year, um, we're, we're looking at the power of our response. And, you know, we, we don't have control over what other people say and do, but we do have control over how we respond. And so much of even Jesus' Sermon on the Mount was instructing you and me on how to respond. Pray for those um, who spitefully use you. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who do not do good to you. And, and we're learning that our response is so important because it, it's how Satan tries to manipulate and influence our lives. He tries to uh, provoke us, you know, through other people and through circumstances and situations into saying things and doing things, even thinking in ways um, that uh, are going to, to bring harm and trouble and even perhaps give place to the devil in our lives. So um, we then from there, using that as a baseline, a backdrop, the Holy Spirit led us to Ephesians chapter 6. And so let's begin with verse 10 and I'll tie that in with what we just said. Chapter Ephesians 6, I'll tie Ephesians 6 in with what we just said as we work our way through. So he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So let's stop right here. The wiles of the devil speaks of the devil's methods, the devil's strategies, um, the way he tries to work and operate against us. And we see that the way he tries to operate against us is, once again, to try to entice and manipulate our response. What is sin if it's not a wrong response to temptation? What is worry if it's not a wrong response to some potentially troubling situation in our lives? So again, in, in that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told us not to judge. What is judgment but a wrong response to something somebody else, you know, has, has, has done wrong or that you think they've done wrong? What is, you know, he talks about not worrying there. I mean, on and on and on. So I'm not going to try to go back through all of that. We've got, all these messages are free. You can access them um, online. But he's telling us now, that if we're, if we're going to uh, stand against the wiles of the devil, we're going to have to put on the whole armor of God. If we're going to, uh, and, and by the way, he, he did not say stand against the power of the devil, stand against the authority of the devil. Um, Jesus has stripped him of his power. Jesus has stripped him of his authority. And we are seated in Christ far above him. But if we do not understand how to put on the whole armor of God, the devil will use different tactics and strategies and schemes against us to manipulate and influence our lives. He goes on to say in verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Notice all the against, 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 stand against. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. 
So if we're going to walk in the victory, live in the victory, experience and enjoy the victory that is our birthright as sons and daughters of God, we're going to have to put on the whole armor of God in order to overcome or stand against the tactics and the strategies that our enemy uses against us. I do not tell you this to, to, to cause fear or, or any kind of worry or stress or anxiety in your life, but you woke up on a battlefield this morning. It's not a matter uh, of if blows and, and arrows are coming your way. The only question is whether or not you will be wearing armor when they come because Jesus told us they're coming, but we can have a place of safety and protection if we will learn how to put on the whole armor of God. I remind you again that um, if the whole armor of God were not necessary, if it were not important, then um, we would have never been told to put it on. So this brings us to what we're now you know, working on, we're, 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 we're digging into the Word of God, uh, this very, very important question, how do we practically and effectively put on the whole armor of God? How do we practically and effectively put on the whole armor of God? Amen. This, I believe, is what the Holy Spirit is breathing on for us in, in this time, praise God, uh, for us as the body of Christ. I shared with you when I went to the minister's conference of the 15 speakers, I'm going to say at least nine of them um, referenced um, the, the whole armor of God, Ephesians 6. Some took their whole sermon from this. And I, and I tell you that simply because it confirms, uh, it, at least in my heart, that, that this is something that the Holy Spirit is not only emphasizing for us here at Heritage, but it's something that He is emphasizing to the body of Christ here on the earth. Now, go back with me to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, Ephesians chapter 4, because what we have in Ephesians 4 is more details on uh, this concept of putting on the whole armor of God. I got a ladybug buzzing me up here, praise God. All right, so what it means to put on um, the whole armor of God. If, if all we had were the instructions in, in Ephesians 6, and that's the only place in the Bible where any, you know, the, the concept of putting on something spiritual was mentioned, then we would perhaps be at a, at, a, at a disadvantage of understanding exactly what that means and exactly how to do that. But the Word of God, both Old Testament and New Testament, mentions, mentions many times, many times, things that we are to put on. Things, you know, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And again, we've went through those things and talked about them. But here in Ephesians 4, I believe this is the, um, it's, it's not the first mention but I believe this is where the Holy Spirit chose to explain to us and provide more details for us in, in how we, again, practically and effectively put on the whole armor of God, how we practically and effectively put on Christ, how we practically and effectively put on love, all these things that we're instructed in scriptures to put on. Now, let's do this. Uh, for sake of time, let's begin. Uh, I said verse 17, but let's go to verse 20. What we see, and I'll mention it, what we see in, in verse 17 leading us up to verse 20 provides context. It, it, it sets the stage uh, for what we see in verse 20. Uh, verse 20 says, but you have not so learned Christ. Remember, you never begin a conversation with the word but. So there are things that the Holy Spirit revealed to us in verses prior to this that are important. I'm not going to take the time... To, to read all those, we've done that in, in previous uh, 
uh, sermons. I will be commenting on them, though, as, as we work our way through. So he says, You've not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, so we're going to, you know, some of the things we're going to look at this morning be a bit tedious, so, you know, uh, awake to righteousness, amen, get, get yourself focused and don't allow the enemy to distract you, right? Uh, being distracted from what the Holy Spirit's trying to say to you, Again, that would be a wrong response to the Word of God. Amen. <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, I've already prayed and you pray and get, be in faith with me that we're going to be able to really hear from the Holy Spirit and hear from the Word of God this morning in a way that will make a difference in our lives. So he's telling us here that we're to put off one thing so that we can put on another thing. And sandwiched in between the putting off and the putting on is the phrase, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How do we put off the former conduct of the old man and put on the new man, right? We do that, we put off one and put on the other by being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, the context here, which I mentioned a moment ago, the context here is really, really important. Because the context here is put off the conduct and condition of the old man, the old man that you were, right? And put on the conduct and condition of the new man you became. He doesn't just say to you and me, put off the old man. He says, concerning the conduct of the old man. How do you put off the conduct of the old man? The way the old man, uh, former conduct even, the way the old man used to behave. Well, obviously, the way the old man used to behave is not just a past tense problem in their lives and in a lot of our lives from time to time. How the old man used to behave is a present tense uh, problem. In other words, some of that behavior is still lingering in our lifestyles, still lingering in our conduct, still lingering even in the quality of life that we're enjoying or not enjoying. And we see that it's lingering not because Jesus didn't do enough for us on the cross to do away with our old man, but we see that 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 condition and conduct of the former self, amen, is continuing because he has contaminated our thinking in some way. So what he talks about in in, in the verses before this is that there are a whole bunch of born-again people in the church at Ephesus and still in the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ here in, in the world today who are living like outsiders even though they're no longer outsiders. They're living like people who don't know God and yet they've been made one with God. They're, they're, they're living like people um, who, are, who are heathens, amen, um, but they're not heathens. They've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so why is that? He says it's because they're living in the futility of their mind. It's, it, it's, it's, it's not a spirit problem, it's a soul problem. It's, it's not a problem with the new birth, it's a, it's a problem with discipleship. It's a problem with, with the mind being renewed. And so you can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but still, for the most part, think like a heathen, and for the most part, still live like one. Now I know this makes a, a lot of people nervous because there's so many different doctrinal positions and 
teachings in the body of Christ that seem to, 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 to fly in the face of this or that seem to contradict this. But again, just stay with me, please. I'm asking you to stay with me this morning because we're going to drill down into this a little deeper. So again, the, con- the context here is put off the conduct. What, what do I mean by conduct? Conduct, the behavior, the former conduct, the, the way somebody who doesn't know God lives. Okay? All right? He says to born-again people that their old man died with Christ and was buried in an unmarked grave. He's saying that you've got to put off that former conduct. And then the condition. He's not just talking about the conduct. He's talking about the quality of life. Jesus came to give you life in overflowing abundance. He, he came to, to, to elevate the quality of your life, the, your life experience. He came to fill you with joy. He came to fill you with peace, joy and peace overflowing in your life, contentment and satisfaction. Are, are you hearing me? These are the things that Father God longs for you. And what parent in the room doesn't long for those same things in the lives of, of your children? So we see then that the conduct, the context here, context, you know, a lot of C-O-N words, right? The context is condition, conduct, and condition. The conduct and condition of the man you were, put that off, he says, and put on the conduct and the condition of the new man you've already become, the new man you became. How do we put off one and put on uh, the other? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, thank you, Jesus. Amen. I'm skipping down some stuff because there's some key things I really want to get to. All right. Now, I'm going to just put all of those back up on the screen again. Ephesians chapter 4, 22, 23, 24. I'm going to read through them one more time. We're going to focus in on some key words here, that you put off. So again, this is something that you have to participate in. This is something that you you have to uh, deliberately, intentionally set your heart and mind upon. This is something you have to go after, that you put off concerning your former conduct, concerning your former conduct, the old man. He's not saying put off the old man. The old man's already been dead and buried. He's talking about putting off the, the former conduct of the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, I want you to pay very close attention, first of all, to to the phrase, was created, okay? Was created. That's speaking of something that's happened in the past. So, again, I'm just trying to show you that He's talking about something that has already taken place in us, something that had already taken place in them, but was not yet being reflected in their conduct and condition of life. What is discipleship about? Discipleship is about a lot of things. But one of the things discipleship is about is the inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. The inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. Once again, how does that inward reality of the new birth become an outward expression of life? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to highlight that phrase, all right? And be renewed in the spirit, verse 23 and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You still with me this morning? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. If you've been born again this morning, listen to me. There are few things, there are few things more important 
for you to be focused on and interested in than being renewed in the spirit of your mind. If you want 2021 to be one of the greatest years of growth, one of the greatest years of laying hold of what Jesus has put in, 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 in reach in, you know, at arm's length for you to lay hold of this year, then be renewed in the spirit of your mind. More people are missing out on what they could otherwise be enjoying as children of God because they have not yet been renewed in the spirit of their mind. I mean, how many different ways, praise God, can we say this? Now, I'm, I'm just going to put, sometimes I use these in my notes and I just put notes on them, but I, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm putting it on the screen. Those of you who are watching live stream, it's here behind me. Uh, for those of you who are present in the room, this word renewed is a very important word here. Renewed means to make new again. It is a Greek compound word that literally means another again. Another again. So let's take this definition and, and, and put it in this verse 23. He's saying, and be made new again in the spirit of your mind. Be made new again in the spirit of your mind. Or, and be made another again. Be made another again in the spirit of your mind. Be made another again in the spirit of your mind. Now, in the Greek language, there are different words that are translated into our English uh, word, new. So I don't know what you think of when you think of something that is, is, is new. But the, the two words for new define something that is, listen to me very quickly, closely, I'm going to use some big words like mayonnaise, okay? It's something that is either quantitatively new, okay? Think quantity. Think quantity. Or something that is qualitatively new. Think quality. So if something is quantitatively new, it's just another of the same, right? We, we may even say same old, same old, okay? But if something is qualitatively new, we're talking about quality. We're talking about something that's new that's not like the one that came before. It's another again, something that is, 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 is another, something that's made new. And so in, in this particular usage, he's not talking about quantitatively, he's talking about the quality of this. So something that is qualitatively new. In other words, a, a, another of a different kind or quality. Come on, I'm going to get this out and you're going to help me, right? Another of a different kind or quality. He's, he's not talking about, you know, just uh, uh, another spirit of your mind or any old different spirit of your mind. He's talking about something that is uh, of another kind or quality. So quantitatively then, what would mean uh, of the same kind or quality? Of the same kind or quality. So he's, he's saying that, that, again, be made another again in the spirit of your mind of a different quality, of a different kind, be made new again, of a different quality, of a different kind in the spirit of your mind. Now, let's dig into this. Come on now, stay with me, please. Made new again implies what? A previous making new. In other words, it's one thing to make something new. It's another thing to make it new again. Okay? To make it new again. So, made new again implies 
making new or a making new uh, that has already occurred. In other words, because he's saying that it needs to be made new again, we're, we're now seeing that it's, it's referencing something that has already been made new. So the first making new, stay with me now, the first making new was when the new man was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, that's when you were made new. That's when 2 Corinthians 5, right? It says that you have been, if you're in Christ Jesus, you have become a new creation. Old things have passed away. The old person you were was buried in an unmarked grave with Jesus and you were raised up together with him to newness of life. This is when you became a different kind of being. This is when you, came, you became a, a, a different quality of being. Uh, the, the, the scriptures go on to say that you are not a mere man. Listen to me this morning. If you've been born again, you are not a mere man. You are a born again man. You are of a different kind and quality of man. Amen. You are a different being than someone who has never been born again. You are of a different quality. You have a different spirit in you. You have a brand new spirit in you. The old man, the old spirit you were was buried and died with Jesus and he put a new spirit in you. And when he put a new spirit in you, he made your new spirit and the Holy Spirit one spirit on the inside of you qualitatively amen now he's saying to them and to us those of you who were created were created right the new man was created has been created has been made new now he's calling for another new again he's calling for uh, something else now that needs to be made new a second making new not of your spirit but of the spirit of your mind your spirit's been made new now the spirit of your mind needs to be made new are you seeing this please tell me you're seeing this your spirit's been made new your spirit is your spirit is seated in heavenly places with jesus your spirit is just like jesus If your born-again spirit could step out of your body this morning, the Bible plainly tells us in 1 John that you would look just like Jesus because you were born of His seed. That's how qualitatively new you've been made. That's, That's the new creation that you've become. But He's saying, and the the words here are important. Let's, Let's go back to it, right? Thank you, Holy Spirit. Oh, it's still up there. Amen. Renewed means to make new again, literally another again. So something else needs to be made new, another again, right? And be made new again in the spirit of your mind. And be made another again, one more time, in the spirit of your mind. So he's clearly speaking of two, you understand sequence, sequential one and then two, he's clearly speaking of two sequential make-new experiences. One that has already occurred in your born-again spirit. One that is either in progress or should be in the spirit of your mind. Now, the scriptures, and I'm not going to try to do an exhaustive teaching on this, but real, real quick, like, all of this lines up with what the Bible teaches us in other places. For instance, Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. Learn of me and you will find rest for your souls. 
Come and I will give, learn and you'll find. There are a lot of people that Jesus has given rest to, but they haven't found it yet because they haven't allowed him to teach them how to live in the rest that they've already been given. They need another new again. Right? How about this? He said that he would make you free and you shall be free indeed. I'll make you free and you shall be free indeed. If you've been born again, you're as free from sin this morning as Jesus. You're as free from crack cocaine addiction as Jesus. Are you hearing me? You're whom the Son is set free, right? Shall be free indeed. Whom the Son makes free. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Shall be free indeed. That's why the Bible says it is for freedom that Jesus made you free. He made you free so you could live free. How about Hebrews 10, 14? He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Right? So has perfected forever is speaking of the work that he did in your spirit. Was created in Christ Jesus in true righteousness and holiness. Now we need a second making you. And the second making you, he says, is in the spirit of your mind. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Now, without all the introduction, I'm going to tell you what I believe the Holy Spirit has revealed to me about the spirit of your mind. The spirit of your mind, simply put, is your self-image. The spirit of your mind is your self-image. It's how you see yourself. It's the image that you have of yourself in your mind. The spirit of your mind is the way you think of yourself. It's the way you see yourself. Are you hearing me? This is extremely, extremely important. The spirit of your mind is your self-image. We need to be made new again in the way we see ourselves. We need another image of ourselves. A self-image that reflects the new man we have become, the one created by God in true righteousness and holiness. Your spirit was born again, but the image that you have of yourself was not. What you believe to be true about yourself was not born again. Someone can be born again and still believe things about themselves that was opinions that were formed within their thinking while they were not born again. Someone can still live their life based upon that image, based upon those opinions, and still live like someone who's an outsider who is not an outsider but is actually an insider with God himself. Now, I'm not trying to belabor the point, but I am, I am trying to put a nail in this once and for all, okay? We're, nail it down. Amen. Are you still with me? So some of you who have, who have heard me teach, there is a tendency, and the Holy Spirit corrected me on this, and every time I would say it, I would like, well, and I just kind of blow on past, and that's never a good thing, and thankfully he's patient. I have a tendency to want to say that we've been recreated in Christ Jesus. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible does not say you were recreated in Christ Jesus. 
Now you say, well, Pastor Mark, you're, you're splitting hairs now. Well, let's split them because they need to be split. Your old man was not recreated into a new man. Are you hearing me? What would that be? That would be quantitatively new, right? That'd just be an improved version of the man you used to be. See, he, you're not refurbished. Your spirit didn't get recalled to heaven and get factory reconditioned and stuck back in you. He didn't recreate you. He killed you and buried you and made you new. Amen. So you're not recreated. I know, so well, doesn't recreate it mean created again? If you want to look at it that way, created a second time, though. Not, he didn't take the raw materials of what you were and make something better out of that. Jesus did not come to make you better in that regard. He came to make your life better, but the only way he could do it is get rid of the part that would prevent that from ever happening. And that, that was your fallen spirit that had a sin nature. Here's the verse, Ephesians 2 and 10. For we are his workmanship, not recreated in Christ Jesus, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, how does all this relate to putting on the whole armor of God? Anybody remember where we started this morning? <laughs> what, what does this have to do with putting on the whole armor of God? Well, if we combine what we learn from Ephesians 4 with what we find in Ephesians 6, a clearer picture begins to develop. In order to put off the old man and put on the new man, you must be renewed in your self-image. Meaning the image that you have of yourself. So putting on the whole armor of God means having a self-image based upon the individual pieces of that armor. Are we getting closer now? We're talking about how do we practically and effectively put this on. How do we, how do we benefit from this armor that, that we've been supplied, that we've been provided? So few in the body of Christ are actually taking advantage of this. So many in the body of Christ are standing there with a, with a smartphone and their flip-flops with fiery arrows from the enemy zooming all around them. You know what I'm saying? We got our Christian t-shirts on. I'm not, I'm not knocking Christian t-shirts, but... You know, the devil eats Christian t-shirts for lunch. Are you hearing me? He don't care about that. That's how many people wear stuff on their Christian t-shirts. They don't even know what it means. Amen. So, so how do we practically and effectively do this? This is, this is what we're trying to ask ourselves. So how do, we, how do we put on the new man? We put on the new man by, by re, being renewed in, in, in the self-image that we have of ourselves. In other words, if, if we have a self-image that looks more like the man we were than the man we became, guess, guess how our conduct and condition of life are going to look? They're not going to look like the new man we became. They're going to continue to look like the old man we were. As long as we see ourselves as that old man, 
as long as we believe, uh, you know, t- still true about us, what was true about the old man we were, as long as the opinions that we have of ourselves, the opinions that we have of our potential, the opinions that we have of our worth, the opinions that we have of, of our standing with God, as, as, as long as none of that changes, are you seeing what I'm talking about here? We're, we're going to keep living as if nothing happened. And that's what he's talking about in Ephesians 4, 17, 18, and 19. He's talking about born-again people that are continuing to live like they've never been born again. It doesn't mean they're not born again. It means they have the wrong spirit in their minds. So putting on the whole armor of God means having a self-image based upon the individual pieces of that armor. Now let's make something clear. I'm not talking about an image of yourself wearing a suit of Roman armor. That's, you know, again, I, you know, you understand what I'm saying? I don't mean like close your eyes and see yourself standing there, you know, in a suit of armor. That's, that again, I know that some people put a, put a lot of value on that. And, and, and again, I'm not trying to offend you. But that's not the same as having... You can picture yourself wearing a a helmet that has salvation written on the side or maybe just like a big S on the side of it or something, okay? And be clueless about what it means to be saved. You can imagine yourself wearing that helmet. You You can get an artist to paint a picture of you wearing that helmet and it still does nothing to change the image that you have of yourself. You see, the Holy Spirit is wanting to form within you an image of a saved man. Now, there's a lot that's involved in that, but do you, you know the image of the saved man that we have painted for us by the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 2? A saved man is seated together with Jesus in heavenly places. Far above, thank you, Mama. Far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, every name that's named this age, the age of this to come. Right? That's what Ephesians 2 says about a saved man. Let's turn there right quick. I don't have slides and I probably don't have time, but we're going to take the time. Ephesians 2, verse number 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That's why it's your former conduct. Even if it's present tense problem, it's still former conduct. You once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. It was not your sin that made you a sinner. You're the offspring of disobedience. Among whom also we also among whom also we all once conducted ourselves, there's your conduct, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, the nature of a thing is the essence of that thing, and were by nature children of wrath. We were, once again, it was, we were the offspring of wrath. The nature, the sin nature that we were born with came as a result of somebody else's sin. I'm not saying you haven't sinned. I'm not saying that I haven't sinned. But the Bible clearly teaches us here in Romans 5 and other places that it was not your sin that made you a sinner any more than it's your righteousness that makes you righteous. It was the first Adam's sin that made you a sinner and it's the, it's the last Adam's righteousness, Jesus, that makes us righteous. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses. What did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. So notice in parentheses there. It says by grace you've been saved. Why, 
Why did the Holy Spirit see fit all those many years ago to put in parentheses, by grace you have been saved? It's because He always and forever wanted you and me to connect this profound, eternal truth with salvation. This is what it means to be saved. And He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. One more time. What is this doctrine? What is this strange doctrine? What is this doctrine that so many in religion rail against? What is this doctrine that so many people say, people like me and you who believe it, are are nutcases? This is the doctrine of salvation, my friend. This is what it means to be saved. This is what it means to be saved. To have been buried with Jesus. To die and to be live again. And to be raised up to a new life. But not just raised up from the dead to a new life. But to be seated together with Him in the heavenly places. That's where you are this morning. That's the reality of your born again spirit. How many in the body of Christ see themselves that way? How many in the body of Christ have an opinion of themselves that says, I'm seated together with Jesus in the heavenly places? My friend, the day the body of Christ gets that image of themselves in their minds is the day the body of Christ turns this world upside down for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's why people in the beginning days of the church had such an impact on the world. It's because they had that inward image of themselves in Christ Jesus seated with Him in heavenly places. It's why they said to the lame man at the gate, beautiful. I really and truly don't have any money to give you, sir, but I've got something that I can give you, though. See, you say, well, how do they have the faith to do that? They had the faith to do it because they had an image of themselves that, that said they could. Jesus said you would lay your hands on the sick and the sick would recover. That's true about every person listening to me right now. Why are we not doing it, Pastor Mark? Because the image we have of ourselves says we can't. The image we have of ourselves says sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. The image we have of ourselves is you never know about God. And then he goes on. To say, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So again, I'm not talking about an image of yourself wearing a suit of Roman armor. If you're going to put on the helmet of salvation... I'm talking about practically and effectively put it on. It means having an inward image of yourself. Of someone who has been saved. An image based upon your salvation instead of an image based upon your past. I'll get into all this in the days ahead, but let's let's just real quick like, The belt of truth, the belt of truth, that would be a self-image based upon the truth and your in Christ reality. That's how you put it on. You have an image of yourself based upon truth. 
I don't have time for this, but I just listen to me, please. Do you realize how many people's image of themselves is based upon their outward appearance? Do you realize how many people base their inward image, their, their self-image, the way they see themselves, the way they value themselves. This, there's a lot of things that cascade from how you see yourself. How you see yourself determines how you value yourself. That's why people have such a low self-worth, low self-esteem. Because they don't see themselves as anything valuable. They have a poor self-image. Poor self-image is going to lead to low self-esteem every single time, which is going to translate into insecurity every single time, lack of confidence every single time. If you want to put on the belt of truth, it means putting on a self-image based upon the truth and your in Christ reality. If you want to, if you want to put on the, the breastplate of righteousness, we're talking about a self-image that reflects your righteousness. If you, if you want to put on your feet being shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, we're talking about a self-image that understands your value and purpose. See, every, everywhere you go, you're supposed to be bringing good news. You're supposed to be bringing peace, wholeness, into, that, into those situations and into those places. But see, we, we think, well, these people, I don't have anything to offer them. I mean, what can I do to make a difference? <laughs> Again, and Jesus is up in heaven going, are you kidding me? What can you do to make a difference? <clears throat> Shield of faith, how do you take it up? A self-image rooted in and I should be an unflinching and unshakable faith. We've already covered this one, a self-image established through the reality of your salvation. That's, if you're going to put that helmet on, that's what we're talking about here. How you see yourself. A self-image boldly confident in the power of God's word. Stand with me. We don't, we don't fear what's to come. We don't, singers, musicians, come on. I, we, we, we need to spend a moment here on this. So let's thank y'all for being patient for a minute. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Think with me for just a moment, okay? I want you to imagine yourself you know, suited up. This time I do want you to imagine yourself in that armor. What, what, is, what is that armor meant to do? You, you're supposed to feel safe in armor. Armor is supposed to give you confidence. Armor is supposed to make you bold. Right? I've said it so many times, there's only one offensive weapon and that's the sword of the Spirit. Everything else is to protect and defend. And it's not a trick question, but the only reason there's only one weapon is because the Word of God is the only weapon we need. But watch this now. If we don't have those other pieces on, we will not boldly, tenaciously, ferociously swing the sword of the spirit which is the word of God 
it's all those other things that give us the boldness and the confidence. So it's not that we're suiting up to huddle over in a corner and, and, and defend ourselves. We're suiting up because once we understand who we are in Christ, once we understand what it means to be saved and to be one with God, what it means to be seated in the heavenly places far above, all, all these low-level devils down here, we're not intimidated by these things. We're not afraid of these things. We walk up in the middle of death itself, speaking the word of God. Live and not die and declare the wonderful works of God. But if we don't know what it means to be saved, if we're not sure about our righteousness, if we question and doubt our salvation, if we, if we don't know anything about faith or how to stand in faith, if, you know, if we don't understand our purpose, our worth, our value, then <laughs> we probably won't even mention God or the Bible when we got some sickness or some situation in people's lives that we're trying to help them with. You see the difference there? It's the armor that makes you bold. It's the armor that makes you confident. It's the, it's the armor that, 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 thank you, Holy Spirit, it makes you invincible. And you know it. And you know it. Amen. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for what you're showing us and teaching us, Lord. Pray for all my brothers and sisters this morning. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you, you are leading us and guiding us into all truth. And specifically now, Father, you're leading us and guiding us by your Holy Spirit into the truth concerning the armor and how to put it on and what it means to do it practically and effectively in our lives. Father, I thank you for life and peace today, and I thank you for all that you have prepared for us. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I want us to worship him for just a moment before we're dismissed. Listen, these altars are open. Um, I know that, you know, COVID, again, has had effects on the way people think, and, and, and I'm not here to, I'm just saying, if, if you need somebody to pray with you, COVID's not a factor in this room right now. Are you hearing me? Don't, don't let fear of somebody touching me, you know, again, that's just the devil trying to keep you from receiving what you need to receive this morning, okay? So they're going to sing. These altars are open. People will meet you here and pray with you. But let's just, let's just worship him for a moment. Allow him to work in our lives. Don't be surprised if he doesn't start bringing some subtle things that have been hidden up to the surface. Some opinions that you've held of yourself that needs to change. And he'll help you change them if you'll let him. Not to condemn you. He's not here to condemn you. He's here to convict. He's here to convince, but not condemn.